Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast and joining me as co-host Stephen Kerr. And we've got a crazy Rockets weekend to touch on and yet more Astros cheating fallout. But real quick, Stephen, did you catch any of the Houston Roughnecks game Saturday? Well, I did. I, I watched it on demand, though. I didn't catch it when it was live. I had a pretty busy weekend, but I, I did get to watch it. Um, I DVR'd it, and it, I'll tell you what, uh, it wasn't a bad brand of football. Now, obviously, it's not the NFL, but and, and for the most part, I did watch. I watched most of the game. I didn't well, wasn't glued to it the whole time. I was doing other things, but for what I could see, I, it was a pretty well played game by both sides. There were some great hits on both sides. And the Roughnecks won. I guess that's really the best part, huh? Yeah. I mean, it's it's nice to have a, a, <laughs> a team in Houston that, that wins. And we're not talking about a coach that everybody hates. And we're not talking about cheating. And we're not talking about uh, a team that feels like it's underachieving. We're going to get to that team in a little bit. But I, it was exciting. I, I actually enjoyed I had such low expectations going into it. I guess watching uh, what was that? That football league that we saw for like a millisecond last year what was it called the uh the aaf i think it was or some yeah the alliance of american football and you know and i, and I really I, I try not to get too emotionally charged about this sort of thing robert just based on the fact that none of these leagues have lasted more than a few years i i mean the one thing i am glad to see with the xfl is that it's without all the glitz and glamour and pomp and circumstance and gimmicks you know that they did before i just want to see football I don't care about all that other stuff. I just want to watch football. I want to watch good football. Now, they did have some different rules uh, that that the NFL, but I thought they were pretty interesting. I really thought that the extra point thing, I think that's awesome. And, you know, the Roughnecks probably need to work on some of their extra points a little bit. But, (laughs) you know, but but you don't kick for the extra point. You have to make a play. You have to run it, pass it. You either get one, two, or three points. I think that's, yeah, it's different, but I think it's pretty cool. So I enjoyed that. You know, and, and of course, there's no kickoffs, uh, but it's it's different. But I actually enjoyed watching the Roughnecks games. So we'll just see what happens down the road. It's a kickoff, but it's a weird kickoff because. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. It, it's, uh, you know, you, you see everybody lined up at, you know, I guess I don't know if it's a 20 or 25 or something like you have. the or the, one, They're all lined up on offense and defense right across from each other. So that was unusual. But you mentioned the extra point. And, you know, there's a couple of other things there that I, I thought, well, you know, we've, we've seen these leagues before. And, and if they have any sort of success and there are things that people enjoy about the league, a lot of that stuff gets incorporated. I mean, the NBA, where do you think the three point line came from, Stephen? The ABA. Yeah, the good old ABA. That's right. So if anything that these leagues do, I think it does a couple of things. It, it may give a small handful of players one more shot at the NFL that they may not have had if they weren't getting that exposure that leagues like the XFL and, and even the Alliance of American Football, there there were a handful of players that were able to at least try out for NFL teams. So it does help in that respect. But the other aspect is, you know, the NFL is watching, even though it's not a competitive thing. You know, in other words, they're not competing against each other. It's a spring league. But yeah, you know, the NFL is watching and to see what innovative things that appeal to the fans. Um, another thing I thought was interesting is, you know, they had the coaches mic'd up when they were calling some of the plays. You know, that that's obviously a little different, and I'm sure a lot of fans get into it with that. So, yeah, I think all in all, 
it, it was a pretty neat brand of football to watch, especially after you're coming off the Super Bowl. And some people, I'm not really one of these people because I'm an all sports type of guy. But for those that really miss football when it's gone after the Super Bowl, I think it's a good thing with the XFL. Let me say something else. P.J. Walker, the quarterback, I liked a lot of what I saw about that guy. And the thing is, Stephen, he seems like somebody that would fit in really well as a Deshaun Watson backup because I want to see a mobile guy. I want to see somebody like Deshaun backing up Deshaun. Yeah, it's funny you say that because that was the very thing I thought about, you know, especially when he threw that first touchdown pass to, uh, what was his name, Cameron Phillips. It was a a 50-yard touchdown pass, first two minutes of the game. You know, my first thought was, wow, are we watching the uh, Houston Gamblers of the old United States Football League back in the 80s? I mean, just bam, bam, bam. But my second thought was, as the game went on, man, this guy, he's mobile. He makes plays. Certainly not going to replace Deshaun Watson, but wouldn't mind having him as a backup if he keeps going like that. You know, obviously the competition is different. I we I know we understand all that, but yeah, I did think about that, and just the fact that he had he showed enthusiasm on the sideline when he was making the plays. He, he's a you know not only a, a good quarterback for that first game, but he showed some excitement out there. I mean, he showed it like he was really thrilled to be out there playing. So I always love to see that. The least impressed I was of any of the Roughnecks was Sammy Coates, the ex-Texan. He did not look good at all. Dropping passes and, you know, there was a a play way downfield where he ended up catching the ball out of bounds because, you know, he got too close to the out of bounds marker. And and that's just, that's common sense. You you, you go back to high school and college football and he let the defender kind of ride him out of bounds. I mean, if he catches that ball, it's maybe a 40 yard gain. And just, there was a, there was like three or four plays where I just thought, man, Sammy Coates, he he's bad even in, in this league. And, and of course he was the guy that I, I was watching because uh, yeah, I watched him at, with the Texans and saw him in Texans camp. Well, that's true. He did catch a touchdown pass, I believe. And one of the passes he dropped, I think it was when uh, the Roughnecks went for it on fourth and six in the first quarter. He took a pretty good hit, but Probably should have held on to the ball. But, yeah, he did drop some passes, made some poor decisions. You know, another rule that's that's kind of different, they're using the college rule of one foot inbounds, you know, for pass catching, which I'm sure makes it a lot easier for the refs to call it. Yeah, that's true. And and the, the fans, you got to give the fans credit because 17,800 fans at TDECU Stadium may not seem a lot, like a lot, but it, it's perfect because they're playing in that small stadium. So it's almost... They're almost at capacity. The ratings, Stephen, were really good. It outdrew the NBA primetime game here in Houston. That's it's all good signs for them, but they got to keep it up. Well, one thing about the smaller stadiums, Robert, is at least it makes the stadiums look full. You know, I'll never forget with with the United States Football League back in the '80s. You know, they were trying to play in these huge stadiums, and they just looked empty. I mean, in some cases, they really were. But it wasn't that the fan turnout was bad. But the, the stadiums were so huge that you just saw all those empty seats. I mean, they tried to do all kinds of things to, to make it look full and that sort of thing. So at least the XFL is being smart in this regard, and you know, you know, at least it, with the Houston Roughnecks. They're playing in a smaller stadium. It just looked full. And, and I thought the fans were actually they, – they seemed to be getting into the game from what I could tell, especially, of course, when the Roughnecks were doing something good that the fans were really into it. So congratulations to the XFL because you guys made me want to talk about you on a Monday. Wow. <laughs> hey, and made it the headline of the podcast. I mean, it's the first thing we're talking about. And I'm really excited that Oliver Luck is the commissioner. I think he's a very smart guy. 
and uh, he's innovative and he certainly knows football. He knows what doesn't work. I heard him on an interview recently on a podcast where when Vince McMahon approached him about being commissioner, he was rather frank with him. He said, you know, Vince, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I remember vaguely your first go around with the XFL and I'm just not into all the gimmicks and, you know, kind of what I said a little while ago. Wasn't really excited about it, but once I guess Vince McMahon assured him that it was going to be more of pure football and less gimmick that he convinced Oliver Luck to come aboard, and I'm glad he did. Well, the Rockets have played three games since the Capella-Covington trade, and they took one step forward and one step back, which is kind of what they've been doing all year. The Lakers win, very impressive, but they keep doing their usual of playing up to the competition. They get wiped off the floor by the lowly Suns down to the competition in that case, and you know, even without Westbrook for that and Gordon going down early, that was not something that got you excited. And then also uh, you had their, again, occasional lackadaisical first quarter. They just came out and sort of crapped the bed like they tend to do early in games. Then they lose to the Jazz on a three-pointer at the buzzer. Steven, we'll get into more Rockets with a special guest on tomorrow's podcast. But what do you make of the roller coaster weekend? Well, it's pretty much what the Rockets have been doing, and, and I know it's still a little bit too early to size up the Covington trade and how it's going to affect things. I mean, the, the thing, obviously, the Suns game was very disappointing. I mean, it just came out as flat as you could possibly come out against a team that really you should beat. Now, the Jazz game, yeah, the Rockets had spurts where they didn't play well, but they at least put themselves in position to win the game. And and from what I could tell, that, that three-point shot, it wasn't that he was unguarded. I mean, it, it looked like the, the, the defense was on cue. It just he made the shot. So I think it was just one of those things where, you know, it was it was well guarded. He just took the shot. It went in and it was a buzzer beater. It's deflating, obviously. But I think it really I, I just I haven't seen anything about the Rockets that really wows me after this trade. Yes, the Lakers win was a good win, but it's only one win, you know, and then you have two others around it that aren't so good. So, you know, the jury is still out on this whole Covington deal to see how he's going to mesh with the Rockets over the long haul. But all in all, with those three games, Robert, they're just nothing that I've seen about the Rockets that makes me think that they are in any better position to be a championship caliber team. And let me just say a, a quick note to uh, Bill Worrell. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to Bill Worrell for a second. Please don't do this. Please don't say P.J. Tucker for the win when there's still a couple of seconds left in the game. Because as soon as he said that, I'm like, ah, oh, no, 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 no. That, you, you, you jinxed it, Bill. You jinxed it. No, you, you can't do that, man. You can't do that. And, of course, 1.6 seconds to go, and that's plenty of time. And it's the NBA. I mean, if you have more than a half a second, it, it, it's not over with. And, you know, I, I know he's trying to, he's trying to do his little uh, – real for the end of the year with all the great plays. I don't know what, whatever he was doing it for, but yeah, it, it's the NBA. And, and unless you see the zero zero on the clock, uh, uh, unless you know that that's going to be there when the shot goes through the basket, then you don't do that. But yeah, they played. I like the way they played against Utah. It was, it was the type of game that you would see in a playoffs and, and the Rockets, I thought we're playing with an incredible amount of effort on both ends of the floor defensively. And if they've been doing that all year, we might be saying other things about the Rockets. But, I mean, it just gets back to the same thing, Stephen. I mean, you know, when you go out and you don't put forth the effort against a Phoenix and then you lose that game, it just this all puts you behind the eight ball because you're trying to get a good seed because you, you do not want to have to face – 
the the Lakers and the Clippers on the road on a path to the to the championship. It, it, I I don't even think they can get past the first round, but you're gonna have to beat both of those teams on the road the way they're going right now. Well, this is the sort of thing the Rockets did last year, and it was some of those stink games that that's what I would call you know a game like the Suns game. It it could have been any of those stink games that could have put them into having the home court advantage last year. And this is the sort of thing that's going to bite them again this year. I, I don't even know, really, to be honest, if, if they're going to be in a position to have home court advantage the way they've been playing, unless they just all of a sudden get on a monstrous hot streak and go forward just because of how competitive the Western Conference is. But you have too many more games like that, and you're, you're going to be in the lower depth of the playoffs, and that's what's going to happen, like you just said. You're going to be facing one of the top seeds in the first round. Eric Gordon's looking like the new Chris Paul, too. I mean, it's like, okay, is he going to play tonight? Is he not going to play tonight? Is he going to get hurt again? Is he not going to get hurt again? I mean, and then, and, and then they just signed him to a contract that I'm like, oh, no. Now he's their one trade ass, you know, he's their one trade uh, asset going forward. And uh, it's not much of a trade asset if, if he looks like, you know, this is just going to be nonstop with his knee or his legs or whatever well and not only that that was really the first thing i thought when he signed that contract is you know is he going to be durable enough to hold up to that and then just his inconsistency and he did come back from the injury and he he showed some flashes but now he goes down again so you know his health is going to be a question mark and the inconsistent play it kind of makes you wonder really should they have done a deal like that so yeah we're going to talk more rockets with a special guest in tomorrow's podcast so look for that but we got to talk about, well, unfortunately, we have to talk about the Astros because this past week there was an investigative article in the Wall Street Journal on the Astros sign stealing scheme that we now know was called Code Breaker. And we're sure. going to get to that in a bit. But I, I'd sounds like, to... like the name of a movie, almost Code Breaker. Uh, or... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good spy movie. Yeah, the, the, the name didn't do. I'm going to get back to that name, too. But I, I do want to start with you, Stephen by getting your opening thoughts on Tom Verducci's conversation with A.J. Hinch. And, you know, what did you think of that? Well, I, I thought that A.J. was genuine. I mean, I think, again, A.J. shows how genuine and how real he is. And he also showed, once again, how opposite he is of Jeff Luno. You don't hear Jeff Luno saying anything except I'm not a cheater. And now all this investigative thing comes out where the front office kind of helped engineer this whole thing. As I said earlier— you know, with the Jeff Luno comment, you know, Richard Nixon said the same thing about Watergate. And what did we see? But as far as the AJ interview, I thought it was very revealing. I, I do believe AJ when he says that he's genuinely sorry. I, I do believe I believe him when he says I should have owned up to it. I, I should have stopped it. You know, I didn't go far enough when he took the bat to the monitor. You know, the, that should have been the cue for him to put the stops on it completely. What I did think was telling, Robert, is that when Tom asked him about the memo that Rob Manfred had sent to the general managers warning them that they better stop this kind of behavior, you know, the, the gist of what I got when what AJ said is that Jeff Luno never showed him that memo, that, that he never saw it. Now, he didn't, make, he didn't use that or offer that as an excuse for not taking action about the whole thing. But I thought it was very telling that it, it seemed that – at least not right away. Jeff Luno didn't even show him that memo. This is basically, to me, a, a PR opportunity for A.J. Hinch. And the, and the cynic in all of us as, as sports fans now is, okay, why is A.J. Hinch doing the interview? What's going on? 
And I'm going to take some of the opposite tack from you, Stephen. While I agree, there's some points that you make that are good. But a couple of things struck me. Hinch starts saying things like it was a tough blow for him. And he was worried about his kids finding out at school when the story broke. Well, that felt like some blatant attempt to garner sympathy, which comes off incredibly poorly. And at the end of the interview, he starts explaining how he'd like to be back in baseball in a year. So that basically sounds like a guy who's already campaigning to get another job just a couple of weeks after all of this happened. At one point, he says, I don't want to make this about me when he was talking about the moment of getting fired. But frankly, a lot of the language he used in the interview was certainly about him. Stephen, if you want to gain some respect back, don't use this victimizing language and don't make this about your your job and your future. If it was anybody else, Robert, I would agree with you totally. And, and I would, in fact, I would even go so far as to say the majority of people who come out and do this sort of thing, I would, I would agree with you. But I just, I, I do think that AJ Hinch is real when he says those things. And look, of course he's going to campaign for another job, or, or at least campaign. But wait for the campaigning for wait, wait. You're two weeks two or three weeks away from this stuff. You can campaign. You can be on TV. You can be on ESPN, whatever. You you can a- absolutely get back out in the public and, and, and revitalize your name. and what. But you can't. You don't start doing that stuff right, right after three weeks later. Oh, I want a job. I want this. I want that. If Verducci asks you about it, it's real simple. You go, Hey, nobody wants to hear about me. Nobody wants to hear about my future. Nobody hears, wants to hear about me complaining about not being baseball right now. I screwed up. I'm paying the price. I'm sorry for it. That's all that matters. And the fans got screwed and baseball got screwed. And I apologize. That's all. You should have just kept digging in on that because, look, that you, you want to ask me what I would have done, what, what my co- communication skills would have said at that point. It's just it's a stay away. I'm not talking about me. This isn't about me. Well, maybe in that respect, but don't you think that by waiting to do this whole interview, waiting until the suspension is up, don't you think that would actually make him look worse? I mean, why not just come out now, get it over with right before spring training starts? I mean, as he pointed out, he's, he's not going to be going anywhere. He can't go to spring training. He can't go to a ballpark. He, he, can't, he, he can't even visit a major or minor league ballpark. He's going to be persona non grata for an entire season. What's the point in waiting until – right after the World Series is over when his suspension is lifted to suddenly do an interview a, a year later, essentially, and say, oh, I'm sorry, I, you know, all this. And, and yeah, I'd like another job. I, I just think that, that, you know, maybe while the, the timing in, in the respect of what you just said, maybe is a little bit off. I, I just felt that he was genuine about what he said and that by waiting, he's only putting himself in the same position that uh, maybe a lot of the Astros players or the Astros as a team are by not apologizing right away. I just think if your apology is genuine, and nobody knows whether it is or not except AJ, obviously. We, we can sit here and interpret it, but nobody knows whether it is or not except AJ. But whether it, if, if it's an, a genuine apology and he wants to at least try to put himself in a position where say, hey, I screwed up, I made a mistake, and, and to try to set himself up for when he does come back, I, I just don't think it's as big a deal as it might be if it were someone else where we could just sit there and point at the TV screen or the computer screen and say, yeah, 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 you know, 
We, we know all about you. We know you're not really genuine about it. So you think he's got to start campaigning for a new job three weeks after he gets well, thrown I'm not out of saying baseball? that he has to. No, I, I'm not saying that he should or that he has to. And I, I mean, it wasn't like it was the bulk of the interview. I, I'm just saying that I, I don't think he really hurt his cause by at least saying, hey, you know, I, I, I sure I'd like to manage again. He asked him directly. He answered directly. Yeah, but I mean, come on. Everybody knows he would love to manage. He doesn't look. You don't have to say that and you don't have to go public about it. You go talk. You go talk to the people around baseball. You go. You you have your agent talk to to GMs or whatever. You that that's the way you do it. You don't have to be public about that. It's not like it's a secret that he'd want to be back in baseball. He's been he's been about baseball his whole life. And look, there was a couple other things in the interview I want to get to, Stephen, before we get kind of. In, involved in all this stuff. But, you know, Hinch was asked some direct questions that I thought he politicked his way around the answer instead of giving a direct response. And Verducci asked him about buzzers in the uniforms in 2019. Yeah, I, I do agree with that, Andy. He didn't really answer that question uh, as far as the buzzers go. Uh, you know, and of course, the commissioner's investigation showed that, that there was no such thing. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. But yeah, I did kind of think he I, I will agree with you. He did kind of tiptoe around that question. I thought he might answer it more directly. So so that is one thing that, that I would say eh, kind of stood out as far as a negative on AJ's behalf. He was also asked if the 2019 championship was tainted. And instead of saying, you know, yes or no, he gave this long, drawn out answer where he said people have to draw their own conclusion. It was a big non-answer. Verducci, you know, I think he dropped the ball there because he should have asked if the Astros were cheating in the playoffs in the World Series, he should have asked them about how they were terrible on the road and great at home against the Yankees and the ALCS. He should have asked how Game 5 of the World Series looked like batting practice for the Astros hitters at home at Minute Maid. Uh, you know, I, I think it was Hinch, you know, sort of going around some answers, being really vague at times. Um, and then I thought Verducci's questions... You know, there was a lack of a follow up at times. It, it was pretty weak and it felt like this is an MLB network. So, you know, we're going to watch you, MLB network, and we're going to see because you are the voice of baseball. And if you are not hard hitting on it, it looks pitiful. It looks pathetic. It, it's it's the difference between you guys doing this interview with with A.J. Hinch and Hinch agreeing to do it with MLB network instead of agreeing to do it with ESPN, where you would get potentially somebody that's going to ask you tougher questions. Well, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I don't think it was as, uh, I don't know if the word tough is the right answer, but uh, as deep and, and probing an interview as I would like to see. Quite honestly, I, I feel like Tom Verducci is a better writer than a, a television personality. I, I enjoy reading his stuff in Sports Illustrated. Don't enjoy so much seeing him on television trying to interview people. Uh, um in regard to the tainted championship, I mean, that really, that's an opinion question that it, it's I think that's something really more that the fans are going to answer in their own minds. I mean, how is he going to really answer a question like that, you know, without saying something that people are going to point to or question? So I, I don't know that you can really answer that question very well in the first place. I mean, I, I guess, but, it, 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 the, you know, you can say, well, other people are going to make up their mind, but that just seems like. You just sound like a politician instead of just saying, well, you know, I mean, we we, we cheated. So, yeah, yeah. It If you said it's a tainted championship because you say we cheated, no one's going to have a problem with that. I mean, maybe Astros fans will get ticked at him for it, but it's the truth. And, and, and the investigation shows that. And I think 
if you're going to lay it all out there, you might as well just say, yeah, it, it is tainted. It's not, you're not saying, well, let, let's, I think we should all give the rings backs. So I think it should be a, you know, taken out of the record books, but tainted is not that tainted is just, yeah. Is that, is there some taint to the championship? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Say that. Is it a black mark? Yeah. Is, is it a black mark? That's kind of what you're referring to. Yeah. And, and, you know, according to this wall street journal, I mean, that's, this is a whole other thing that happened in the last few days, but the Astros, they have this Excel based application called code breaker designed to decode opposing catchers signs. It was used throughout the 2017 season, part of the 2018 by their employees and video room staffers, both at home and on the road. Stafford's staffers would uh, log the catcher's signs and pitches into a spreadsheet. Code breaker would determine how the signs were related to different pitches and, and and just the name Codebreaker that you mentioned, Stephen, it, 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 you you said it, it. It's like a movie. You know, I I think it would have been a little bit more fun if you would have call it like the Rainbow, the Rainbow uh, Connection, or something. You know, just something with a little bit more lightness to it. <laughs> so yeah, when- it, it just makes it sound dirt. The the name Codebreaker. Now that I think about it, it just makes it sound dirtier than it already is. Yeah, I don't know. My first thought, Robert, when I when I saw this is now I'm not a computer programmer, so. I, I, but I, I guess to them, it's not a lot of work, but boy, it just sounds like they went to an awful lot of trouble to do this cheating. I mean, put this whole spreadsheet together and, you know, coding things in and I mean, just, yeah, it's over my head because I'm not a computer programmer, but it just sounds like an awful lot to do to try to get an edge. I mean, if you were going to try to get an edge, I would think you'd want to do something maybe a little simpler, a little easier, a little more primitive and basic to, to try to get an advantage. I mean, this just seems like a really sophisticated, well, it, obviously it was a sophisticated operation. It just sounds rather complex to me just to, you know, to go to some great lengths. And the fact is it worked some of the time, but you know, even the players finally gave up on the thing apparently in 2018, because it just wasn't giving them the results that they thought they should have. Well, you said it, Stephen, and you said it perfectly. They went through all this trouble and they went through all this detail and, you know, they they work so hard at it. Just this sounds very, very Jeff Luno ish. And, and, you know, as Astros senior, senior manager of team operations, a guy named Derek Vigoa and director of advanced information, Tom Coke Wesser. And I'm probably screwing the name up, but I don't even know those guys. Those guys said that Luno would occasionally go to the Astros video room during road games and make comments like, you guys code breaking? And, you know, according to the journal, Manford wrote in his letter to Luno that there is more than sufficient evidence to support a conclusion that you knew uh, and overwhelming evidence that you should have known that the Astros maintain a sign stealing program that violated MLB rules. He's talking to this is to Jeff Luno. This is a you knew it. You we there's evidence, blah, blah, blah. These guys basically saying they're coming in. You guys code breaking. Come on, Jeff. Come on. Well, and it just makes him look worse when he came out right after this report came out and right after he got fired. I am not a cheater. I I mean, it it made him – he already was looking bad then. How much worse does this make him look? And that's why – and I think we talked about this, Robert, right after the report came out, You know whether Jeff Luno and A.J. Hinch would ever find jobs again. I I think A.J. Hinch will find a job faster than Jeff Luno will, and and something like this will will just – basically reinforce that if you sit there and deny 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 that you did all this and then there's people coming out or there's all this evidence including in the commissioner's report 
that you knew of it and you did nothing to stop it and you even helped engineer some of it. Yeah, I, I don't know how anybody would want to hire Jeff Luno after this. Also, Vagoa and Cook Wesser, again, I'm screwing up that name, but they're, they're still employees of the Astros front office. Should they be, Stephen, or would you give them immunity because Luno was directing them and they had no choice? Well, I, yeah, that it kind of brings into question, why are they still employed with the Astros? And, and wasn't Kevin Goldstein even involved in some of this with uh, emailing the scouting department? And, and I believe he's still employed, is he not? Click's going to have to clean house, right? He has to. Yeah, I, I don't understand why those two guys would, would still be. Would, I mean, if, if Crane didn't know about what their role is right after the report came out, he certainly knows now, or at least has some pretty strong evidence. So, yeah, I'm not sure why those two guys should even still be with the club. Yeah, it's it's really it's really bad looking. I mean, the more and the more this gets in, the more we get into it, the worse it's going to look. And you know, we I mean that red. I mean, I'm still waiting for the Red Sox report, aren't you? What's going on with that? Yeah, there there hasn't been too much to that. Um, and of course, Alex Cora has been fired. You know, even before that investigation got well underway. Well, here's the thing, Robert is as terrible as what the Astros did. I just believe this is only the tip of the iceberg. You know, the Red Sox are being investigated. I don't think those are the only two. I think you're going to see more of this kind of thing. Maybe not the exact same thing, but you know, sign ceiling is something that has been in baseball ever since the very beginning. It's just become more sophisticated. Does it make it less right or, you know, or more wrong? Not necessarily, but I just think this is the tip of the iceberg and we're going to see more of this kind of stuff coming out. Uh, in the weeks and months to come. And it's just a shame because, you know, spring training is, is right here. Pitchers and catchers will be reporting soon. You know, spring training is getting underway, the regular season coming up in late March. But we're going to have to hear this all season long, regardless of whether the Astros are winning or losing, you know, the Red Sox, anybody else. This whole thing is, is going to follow the entire baseball season and really beyond it. Should Verducci have asked Hinch, do you think you had to do that or did you think you had to do that because other teams were doing it? I'm surprised there was no questions about, do you think the Dodgers were doing it? Do you think the Yankees or, you know, may, maybe that's uh, something he would have had to lawyer his way out of. Cause that, that could get complicated, but I was thinking about that too. Yeah, that's probably a good question. I felt like he really should have been more direct in asking AJ why he didn't after he took the bat to the monitor what kept him from going further and just saying, okay, guys, knock it off? I mean, he did kind of ask it, but it, it was later on. I mean, it took him a while to get around to it. I would have asked it right after he talked about taking the bat to the monitor. That would have been my next question. So what prevented you from going over the threshold, AJ? Why? Um, I, again, I, I just I don't think he dug deep enough, Tom Verducci, that is, to, to really get to the heart of the matter. Um so, yeah, that's that's what you just said. That's another question that he probably should have asked and just gone a little deeper with it. If you want some Astros good news, and it's hard to find it these days, but Jock Peterson, the deal to the Angels is out. We talked about that last week, but it's it's off now. The deal to the Angels is off. Yeah, it is off. I think the, the Angels backed down. And, of course, the Mookie Betts trade kind of took a weird turn. I mean, it's going to be completed, but it's I guess it's now a two-team trade instead of a three-team trade. So, yeah, some weird things happening, but – Again, as we said in the last podcast, AL West, I think, is going to be stronger this year, regardless of whether the Astros are going to have a great team or not. Charlie Morton, I think he made a comment. You know, that's one thing going back to the cheating. He said, I personally, I regret not doing more to stop it. I don't know what that would have entailed. 
whatever that's where. I mean, Charlie, I love Charlie. It's hard to put any of this on the pitchers, although, you know, if you're a lead, if you're a leader as a pitcher, if you're a Verlander or something like that. And of course, this is this was already going on when Verlander got remember Verlander didn't get to Houston until the beginning of September. So Correct. if you're Verlander, can you walk into the Astros clubhouse and say, what the hell are you guys doing? You know, I think once the memo comes out, though, in mid-September, then Verlander can come out and say, look, I, you know, I want to win this whole thing, but I don't want people to find out, you know, because if, if, if Manford comes at us, how do you not think this is going to come out? Guy, players are leaving the, the franchise afterwards. They're going to other teams. How is it not going to come out that the Astros are cheating? If you're Justin Verlander and you're trying to build your case for the Hall of Fame and you want your first World Series and you don't want it to be tainted, how do you not say something there? I mean, he's, he's, he's the old man in the room. Well, especially nowadays with the advent of social media and just how quickly things get out and there, there's always video to, to prove things. Yeah, I, I just, my, I, I'm just surprised not only with Verlander, but just the, the whole lack of effort that the Astros undertook once that memo came out. It's It's... Well, and I think we kind of touched on it with the report, just how they kind of shrugged their shoulders at MLB and said, huh, no big deal. You're not going to catch it. I mean, we're doing it, but you're not going to catch it. You got to catch us first before you can do anything. It just such a blase, really, I, I, no, I'll use the word arrogant, such an arrogant approach to the whole thing. And this is just reinforcing it by not taking action on the memo. Jeff Luno not coming to AJ Hinch and said, hey, we just got this memo. You know, you got, you need to talk to your team, tell them to stop it. He didn't do that. AJ didn't take the lead in putting a stop to it. Verlander and some of the leaders of the team didn't. Just just a total lack of response, a lack of action, particularly after that memo comes out. It, it just it's mind-boggling to me. Let's talk about a team in Houston that's actually doing some things that we like right now. And the Houston Cougars, they beat Wichita State by 33 on Sunday, Stephen. They're 19 and 5. Kelvin Sampson, he's got him rolling again. And I, I, I will say this, you know, you watch this Cougar team and as the season progresses, Kelvin Sampson teams, they kind of gain momentum. They look like they get better and better and they just do all the right things on the floor. They play defense, they rebound, there's effort, there's energy, it's nonstop. And as long as they can figure out a way to, to get some points when they need it, I mean, they're going to be tough to beat in the tournament. Well, they are. And, you know, it's it really it's wide open this year. I think at least up now it's, it's going to be interesting trying to predict the final four, you know, and then the, the whole NCAA tournament setup. You know, the, the, we, we thought coming into the season and even going through the season that the Cougars may not have quite the season that they did last year with getting the Sweet Six game. Well, you know, if they get rolling like they have now and, and just keep it going toward the end of the season and get in the tournament, anything can happen. You know, they certainly could get to the Final Four uh, or something, the way things are looking right now. And it, it seems that after that uh, Deke Giroux incident with the biting of the leg, it, it might have, you know, maybe that did a little something to ignite the team after that whole embarrassing situation. But Kelvin Sampson, he's not going to take anything less than 100% maximum aggressive effort on the court and offensively, defensively. I mean, he's on those guys all the time. So... You put those factors in there, and yeah, the Cougars have an excellent shot. They certainly will get back to the tournament, but maybe they do have an excellent shot of going deep like they did last year. If you think there's an angle that we're missing on this Astros controversy or what's going on with the Rockets, 
message us. You know, you can find us on Twitter. It's at HST Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. You can message us through there. Uh, our email address is in the description of every single podcast, info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. We would love to hear from you. You can send us a voicemail. We'll put it on with a, give us a strong opinion. You know, you can talk in there for a minute or two and just message us that. You can do it through your phone. Every phone these days has got one of those uh, voice recorders on it. And also, you know, we, we ask you if you, if you would just uh, retweet us. If you see that we're put, you know, we're, the link we're putting up to the podcast where we put it up every week or on Facebook, uh, we put up the link. Uh, share it with your followers. Uh, let them know. Just you, even if you just a simple, hey, retweet or share would be fine. But if you you know say something like, hey, really enjoyed this podcast. You know, this is one of my must listens to every week. Uh, that would be fantastic. But uh, really appreciate the support from everybody over the last few years, almost uh, closing in on seven years. Uh, by later this year, it's going to be seven years of doing the podcast. And uh, you know, we 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 hope to give you. Uh, a little bit of a, a different view of things than maybe what you're getting in other places and, and hope to give you a good, uh, you know, we, we give you a middle of the ground, but at the same time we're rooting for these teams. So, you know, we definitely are fans of the, the Rockets and the Astros and the Texans and the Cougars and, and all the Houston sports teams. But uh, until we talk to you again tomorrow, we should have a special guest tomorrow on the Rockets. Have a great one, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.